You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV, AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast pace. They can go no huddle. They can go two tight ends. They can go play action. They can take shots down the field. They can run the ball with Cam. I love the options here. Opinionated. Mac Jones was a safe pick, but his ceiling is just Kirk Cousins. To the point. The Red Sox are better than I expected. I still don't think they're winning the division. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. It is a Wednesday. We've already had game one of the Red Sox doubleheader against the Blue Jays. Sox lose that one 4-1. They squandered a golden opportunity to score, leaving the bases loaded. Nobody out in the second inning. Weren't able to cash it in. So they lose a game in the standings to the Jays, and game two of the doubleheader kicks off the nightcap with the pregame show at 6-10. So we have a... 40-minute show here live, but we do have a full expanded conversation coming on the podcast channel, so subscribe to us there on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio stops by in about 15 minutes, as he does every single Wednesday, and you can always get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026 at your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. All right, let's get going. Five. Four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. It's online at sticksandstuff.com. Today was the first day of Patriots training camp. First time that we've seen the Patriots out there in any kind of meaningful capacity in a couple of months. And the first time we've had really any designs on the upcoming 2021 season. So a lot of excitement today around Pat's training camp, at least from me and fellow Patriots fans. But that excitement was tempered by what I read early this morning. In The Athletic... They talked to 50 evaluators, scouts, coaches, etc. And the Athletic came to the conclusion that Patriots quarterback Cam Newton enters this season as the 27th best quarterback in the NFL. 27th. They've got Cam Newton in the same tier as guys like Sam Darnold, Jameis Winston, Teddy Bridgewater, Andy Dalton. That's the company they have Cam keeping. My first thought upon reading this article and upon seeing the number 27 next to Cam Newton's name is simply stop getting so wrapped up and stop getting so invested in lists. Okay, Lists, power rankings, Mount Rushmore's people need to stop getting invested in this stuff and need to stop freaking out over it. Here we go again. We are one day into training camp, and we are already starting with the Cam Newton slander. I don't understand what is so hard to understand about this for people. I'm well aware. I love Cam, but I'm not delusional. I am well aware that Cam Newton in 2021 is not Aaron Rodgers. I'm well aware that he's not Russell Wilson. Those guys are superhuman. And part of the reason that they have to be superhuman is because they make so much money that the rest of their rosters are often deficient. Those guys are naturally great, but they make up so they they take up so much of the payroll that they have to cover up all the warts on the roster themselves practically. That is why they are forced to be superhuman. Cam Newton in his situation in Foxborough this year does not have to be superhuman. He doesn't need to be number five on that list for the Patriots to be successful. He doesn't even really have to be number 15 on that list for the Patriots to be successful. For what it's worth, 
a couple of weeks ago, I told you I thought Cam Newton was, I, I would rank him 18th heading into this season. Okay. But whether you've got him higher than that or lower than that, the argument still holds true. Cam Newton in his situation does not need to be superhuman. And those one through fives, they're superhuman generally because they're forced to be superhuman. For years, Patrick Mahomes had to cover for a defense. Aaron Rodgers had to cover for lack of receiver depth. Russell Wilson had to cover for no defense and no offensive line. Those guys have to be superhuman. In this situation, Cam Newton does not need to be that. When you have a player like Cam who isn't making a ton of money, which Cam is not, less than $5 million this year in guaranteed salary, you can afford to surround that player with uber-talented pieces, and you can leave that roster whole. It doesn't have the deficiencies. that those The Patriots roster doesn't have the true deficiencies that those other teams have now or have faced in the past. Okay? The Patriots have created a situation that is advantageous for Cam Newton. They don't need him to be number one. Putting him 27, that's an insult. But they don't need him to be one. They don't need him to be six, eight, or 12. He can be, like I said, 18 and still have a successful year. We have seen this formula work. We act like you can't win if you don't have Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. You can. Case Keenum got to an NFC title game. Baker Mayfield took the Browns to the playoffs last year and won a game on the road. Tyrod Taylor, as recently as five years ago, took the Bills to the playoffs. Uh, Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee, surrounded with talent now. Alex Smith, for years, got to the playoffs. I get it. There's a cap on those guys, and there's a cap on Cam, too. But the formula can work, and the formula can be successful, and it doesn't require the Patriots to have the best quarterback in the league. For years, Tom Brady covered up deficiencies on this team. That's what highly paid quarterbacks are supposed to do. And when you're not good enough to cover up the warts on the team, i.e. Carson Wentz or i.e. Jared Goff, you get traded. That is how this goes. When you get paid that much money, you are expected to cover up the warts on your team. Josh Allen's about to get paid. He will get asked to cover up the warts that will inevitably come in Buffalo. Why aren't the Browns extending Baker Mayfield? Because they're not sure he can do that. Why aren't the Ravens extending Lamar Jackson? They're not sure that he can do that. When you are Aaron Rodgers, when you are Russell Wilson, when you are at the top of that list, you have to be Superman. Cam Newton does not have to be Superman. This team can still be good with him just playing adequately and capably. And you know what? Frankly, I'd say the same thing about Mac Jones. I want Cam Newton to be the quarterback. I like Cam Newton. I find him refreshingly honest. I find him fun. I find him different than any other Patriot team that I've covered in the time I've been here. I personally want Cam Newton to be the quarterback. But if Mac Jones was the quarterback, the same formula would apply. Be, be adequate. Be capable. Don't be the reason that you lose. And lean on your help because the Patriots have provided the quarterback position with a lot of it. A good running game with multiple backs, a big physical offensive line who gets the return of David Andrews, a defense that's been invested in that's better also because it gets Dante Hightower back. This is the formula, and it can work for the Patriots regardless of who's under center. But if Cam is here, he can ultimately succeed in this. They can run the ball. Cam can be a part of that running game. When teams stack the box against Cam, he can, or against the run, he can hit guys in play action and in single coverage. He can hit his new tight ends, all his new weapons. So stop. My advice to you, if you take nothing from this show today, either the live version or the full podcast version, my advice to you is this. Stop getting so wrapped up in lists. There's a distinct formula that can help the Pats win games. Elite coaching, better defense, a better overall offense. The sum of all of these parts 
will add the Patriots up to a good team. Other teams have to be one player dependent. The Patriots don't. Stop buying in to lists. What an awful way to start my morning. That was the first thing I read. I was in bed at like 7.30 this morning, read that, and I was like, ugh. I can't believe I fell for this. I got all worked up at 7.30 this morning. 802-585-3026 on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. Jason over in Town says, Brady, you've really got Cam Newton 18th? Who do you really have him ahead of? All right. Well, off the top of my head, let's see. Um, again, Jason, remember, I just told you, lists are not something that I like. And I do think that all of this is or at least should be relative to to the team you're on and the help you have or don't. But for this year, I would say that Cam Newton is either better than or is in a better situation than the following. I would say Cam Newton is better than Teddy Bridgewater. I would say Cam Newton is better than Drew Locke. I would say Cam Newton is better than Andy Dalton. I would say Cam Newton is better than Tyrod Taylor, who I'm presuming is going to start in Houston when Deshaun Watson isn't playing there. I would say Cam Newton is better at this point than Tua Tagovailoa. I would say he is at this point also better and in a better situation than Zach Wilson and Jalen Hurts. I would say he's better or in a better situation than Jared Goff and Jameis Winston and Sam Darnold. I would probably say better than Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's certainly in a better situation than Trevor Lawrence, although I understand that quickly Trevor Lawrence can can take that from him potentially. But right now, today, Cam Newton has a better situation than Trevor Lawrence. And I'd probably go Carson Wentz, too. The jury is out on that. Wentz is in a good situation in Indy. I'm just not sure right now how good or bad he is at this point. So, look, I'm keeping track of my fingers here. That looks like about 12 or 13 quarterbacks. I said Cam was 18th. That would make him better than 13 quarterbacks. So, I mean, there we go. Those are the guys I think that Cam is either better than or is in a better situation than. Another text. This one comes in from uh, Matthew over in uh, West Addison. He says, Brady, I read the numbers. Cam wasn't that great on the practice field today. He was 8 of 15 for two interceptions. How can you defend him now? Well, I'm not going to defend him. Obviously, he had a rough day, but Matt Jones had a rough day, too. He was 9 of 19. So the quarterbacks in general had a rough day. But but I try not to get too wrapped up in the first day of training camp. It's fun to see guys back out there, and but we can't expect the team to just be clicking as a whole right now. Okay, The takeaways were pretty clear from most people in attendance. The defense in general is ahead of the offense, and that is expected. Cam Newton is a work in progress. The new players and the new chemistry is a work in progress. Mac Jones is a work in progress. The new the playbook is a work in progress for some of these guys. The defense at this point is ahead of the offense. The defense just gets to react. They just get to play ball. And being reactive is easier at this point in camp, day one, than working on all the timing and nuance that goes into playing offense. I mean, Henry McKenna from Patriots Wire said that there were a ton of strong plays from the defense. Uh, Adrian Phillips was great. Jalen Mills, uh, Devon Godshaw, Christian Barmore. Those guys were better. The offense was behind the defense today, and it makes sense. The defense is able to just react. The offense isn't, so I don't blame them as a whole for being a little late to the party. All right. I don't care about lists. I don't really care about day one of training camp results. Am I wrong? Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio. I'll ask him that question. He's next with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDE. One of the nicest guys in sports talk radio and one of the smartest. We thought the Patriots, that they're very good at keeping information from getting out. They're better than the FBI and the CIA. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN's Freddie Coleman on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. 
Sox.com. We are in between Red Sox games right now. We had game one already of a doubleheader against the Blue Jays and game two coming up with coverage starting at 610. Joining us now, though, in the in-between is our guy Freddie Coleman over at ESPN Radio. He's the co-host of Freddie and Fitzsimmons weeknights at 9 p.m. And tonight we have Red Sox baseball on, so Freddie's show streaming at WDEBradio.com. Freddie, how are you? I'm good, brother Brady. How's everything with you, my man? Uh, things are good. Red Sox, you know, fighting for first place constantly. Trade deadline coming, and the Patriots back at training camp. We couldn't be better. Yeah, especially with the Red Sox. People keep waiting for that other shoe maybe to drop, and I say, you know, you better hold. Don't hold your breath anymore because this is who they are: a team that can win a two-to-one game, a team that can win a nine-to-eight game. The the bullpen has been underrated, been terrific. They've got timely hitting, so. I think they are a legit threat in the American League to get to the World Series because they seem to beat any kind of team and win any kind of way. Yeah, they are certainly a threat. And I said this the other day, I, I don't think that they're the best team. I don't think that they have the most talent, but maybe none of that matters. I mean, like, there's just something special going on right now. Uh, Brady, that's a great point because how many times we've seen the best teams not win a world championship? I go back to the 1980 run the Dodgers had. Well, they were not better than the Mets, but they beat them in the National League Championship Series. They weren't better than the Oakland Athletics man for man, but they beat them in the World Series. Sometimes it's not about who is the best team. It's which team is playing the best baseball and how they're going to be able to carry that over into the postseason. And we've seen that time and time again from a team that nobody was talking about, but they were playing their base, best baseball at the right time. And sometimes one team's a bad matchup for another team. So I think you're completely right. Anything can happen, and if you believe in yourselves, Confidence is dangerous when you have it and dangerous when you don't have it. And there's a very confident Boston Red Sox baseball team. You know, Freddie, I do want to move to the Patriots. First day of training camp. It's got a first day of school feel to it. I'm very excited. I was just talking about this. Cam Newton ranked the 27th best quarterback by the Athletic and all the people that they talked to. Do you get wrapped up in lists? Like, does this matter to you? Brady, I never worry about those kind of rankings because I know how subjective and opinionated that they are, and it's very easy to fall in love with those kind of lists that people put out there. But I would never want to have my unfettered eyes be affected by somebody's analysis of somebody else. So I don't worry about Cam Newton being number 27, number 7, number 17, whatever that ranking is going to be, whatever somebody thinks about it. It's all about what you can do for the Patriots in 2021. I'm not going to allow anything to happen in the past whatever I think of a quarterback or anybody putting together a rankings list and sway my judgment one way or the other. You know, Cam was average today by all accounts at training camp, 8 of 15, two interceptions. At what point of training camp or the preseason do you start to care? When it gets closer and closer to the regular season because by that time, Brady, you've had enough practices, you've had some controlled scrimmages, you've had a chance to be out there with your team in preseason football. So if he's still having these kind of issues where he's 8 of 15 in the controlled scrimmage or they have what they call those in October, where they're trying to work on timing. If he still doesn't have timing with his wide receivers getting close and close to the season, then that's when I think a little bit of worry, not panic, but a little bit of worry should set in. But I'm not going to be concerned about him throwing two interceptions in the first week of the first day of camp because everybody's still getting used to each other. And let's be honest, when you're bringing in two new tight you brought in the offseason, and Donald Smith and Hunter Henry, and two wide receivers and born in Aguilar to help out your offensive team, of course it's going to take some time for everybody's going to find their way to find the same page. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, tonight 9 p.m. streaming at WDEVradio.com. Bill Belichick gave an interesting answer yesterday and said that the quarterback competition and all competitions are a, and everybody's at a clean slate. How open do you think the quarterback competition is this offseason, actually? Brady, I'll tell you this. I don't think it's as open as the people in the media or people that are anti-Cam Newton fans yeah. wanted to be because that's a love affair when it comes to Mac Jones. And I believe Mac Jones is going to be a terrific quarterback, but let's not rush the process along. Let's let the process play out the way it should play out, no matter what kind of time frame you think he should be the starting quarterback. I get the sense that many people look at Mac Jones and they're trying to make him seem as he's Tom Brady part two of the Patriots. And that's the last thing you should want anybody to put at the feet at Mac Jones or at the feet of the Patriots organization. Cam Newton right now is QB1. Mac Jones is QB2, QB3, whatever that's going to be. But we're not going to rush this process along because Bill Belichick is not going to be rushed. Bill Belichick has always been that when he's confident in a player, he's going to put them out there on the football field. If he's not confident in a player, then he's not going to rush that player along. And he's not going to do that to a quarterback that they just drafted with a 15th pick in the draft that fell to him to get out of Alabama. 
I get the sense that a lot of people, whether it's local media in Boston covering the Patriots or national media that covers the National Football League, they want to see this sooner than later. To me, Brady, it's the same situation as Chicago Bears. We want to see Justin Fields be the starting quarterback right now instead of Andy Dalton. The difference is I clearly understand that because the Bears are more in flux than the Patriots. But let's not think that Mac Jones should be the starting quarterback day one because if Bill Belichick does not believe that, then there's no reason anybody think they can push that along and influence that kind of decision from Bill Belichick. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, the Patriots open up the season against the Dolphins at home, winnable. Then they get the rookie quarterback Jets in week two, and then they get the not as good as previous year's Saints. Like they could easily be three and zero if Cam Newton just wins the job out of camp. He could very easily be three and zero before that rematch with Tom Brady. Why are we just discounting the fact that Cam could succeed? Because Cam Newton is an old flavor compared to the new flavor that is Mac Jones. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people, Brady is still surprised that Bill Belichick took a chance on Cam Newton because how many times we hear that Cam Newton is not a fit for the Patriots. And I said, Bill Belichick has made players fit his scheme or fit the scheme around players. I didn't think that was a foregone conclusion that they were not going to kick the tires on Cam Newton last year. So I was not surprised that he decided to take a chance on him. But because Mac Jones is a new flavor, we know how it is. You can like vanilla ice cream, but if Rudy Tootie shows up, you're going to drive Rudy Tootie more than vanilla. The Cam Newton right now is a vanilla flavor compared to people that they've seen. We've seen what he's been able to do, that he's won an MVP. He's gotten his team to the Super Bowl, and now he's had a fall from grace ever since he was at the top of his game, the Carolina Panthers. When something new shows up, you want to see exactly what that's going to be. So I think that's why a lot of people look at Cam Newton and say, man, just move on. Well, Cam Newton is still a viable quarterback because think about this. Had COVID-19 not interrupted the Patriots last year, interrupted him and a couple other players, this team could have been a lot better than the record they had at the end of the season. Once that rhythm was thrown up, it's hard to recapture that. They won't have to worry about that hopefully this year. And even if they do, they're better prepared for it because it happened to them last year. And they know exactly how to make sure it's not going to happen again to take away the rhythm that they were creating at the beginning of the season last year. You know, I love your colleague, Lewis Riddick. I think he's great, entertaining, and smart. He says, though, he'd like to see Mac Jones starting by that Week 4 game against Tom Brady and the Bucks. What do you think is the actual better storyline or most entertaining storyline for that game, Cam or Max starting? To me, the storyline is Tom Brady coming back, and I know the storyline would love to be Tom Brady versus Mac Jones, Tom Brady who did what he did with the Patriots, and now a guy who many people believe could be the Tom Brady, the second coming. But to me, the storyline above anything else is just Tom Brady coming back. It's going to feel like a home game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. For the first time ever in Bill Belichick's legacy, he's going to have the home crowd not on his side because so many people are going to be on the side of Tom Brady. I know it's very easy to say one storyline is better than the other one, but I just completely dismiss that. I put that aside. To me, Tom Brady making that return, and with a Super Bowl championship, Brady, in his back pocket, going against the team that he played with for 20 years that did not make the playoffs last year and are trying to get back there this year, to me, that storyline overwhelms any storyline who's going to be on the opposite side playing quarterback for the Patriots. That is very, very minute compared to the fact that the conquering hero is coming home looking to conquer his former team and show them exactly what they missed out on by having him move on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show. Freddie, uh, which Olympic event do you find yourself watching most? Oh, the 3 by 3 basketball tournament. That I was so served, much fun. Oh, my goodness. Watching the USA women's team win today when they were able to beat uh, the Russian Olympic Committee team and seeing Stephanie Dolson, who played at UConn, and also... Um, Young, who played at Notre Dame, and Gray, her dad played at UNLV. He was on those teams with Larry Johnson, et cetera, et cetera. But even watching the men, I'm amazed at how physical it is and how much they let them get away with Brady on the basketball court, male and female. If you try to let that physicality happen in an NBA game, guys will literally go to the G League and never play in the NBA <laughs> again with the kind of physicality that they let happen. I knew that it was going to be really good for Brady. It was so much better, just the size of everything, where you got a small amount of space, you got a small amount of time to get a great shot up and have a great set of hopefully the set that's going to work. That has been the one event that any time it has been on, it does not matter what teams are playing. I don't care if I don't know the players. I am thoroughly enthralled, and I'm really going to hate that now that that's over, that we got gold medalists on both sides, that we won't see three-by-three three basketball to the next Olympics. The only thing I wish about that is I'd rather see them check it up after every score rather than just immediately take it back and go. That's the only thing. I don't know how you feel about it, though. Well, I know why they don't do that, because you've got a 12-second shot clock. You want to keep things moving and keep that, that pace. So you've got to be in really great shape. And your point is very, very fair. But I kind of like the fact that the minute the ball's out the miss or the ball goes through the basket, that immediately you get the ball and the clock starts. So I don't mind 
that kind of aspect of the game where it's a pickup basketball game, but it's really a hard pickup basketball game. You can take the average pickup guy or average pickup girl off the street and think they can hang with that for about four minutes. That's something I was in two minutes because the game is so intense and so fast-paced because you don't have a lot of time to breathe and think when you're out there. I found myself watching tennis until one in the morning quite a bit, which is odd because I can watch tennis anytime, but I'm very into Olympic tennis. I'm in the I'm in the tennis period because I was a ball boy when I was a kid, part of the USTA wow. and everything like that. So I've been a tennis fan since I was a kid, Brady, and I'm with you. I don't care who's playing. I know Naomi Osaka is not in the women or Ash Barty, but just seeing what happened with Medvedev and Polino last night, that was a fantastic match. I think Andre Medvedev is going to wind up winning a major championship before the next couple of years is said and done. He has that kind of game. But, dude, I'm not watching Olympic tennis for one in the morning. I'm watching that two, three in the morning because I'm following the matches on the Olympic Channel on USA Network. I'm a tennis nut. So just seeing these players competing for a gold medal and getting after each other, it's been a really great tennis turn on both sides when it comes to the Olympics so far in Tokyo, Japan. Our guy, Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio. Check him out tonight, WDEVradio.com for Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Freddie, we will talk to you again next week. My pleasure, Brady. You take care and be well, my man. I will do just that. Freddie Coleman, one of the best every single Wednesday with us at about 545 right here on WDEV on the Brady Farkas Show. So a lot of good stuff there from Freddie. Um, I... I'm going to react to some of those comments on the uh, full show podcast. So uh, I asked Freddie about, I was most interested, I think, to ask Freddie about, does he think Cam Newton or Mac Jones starting against Tom Brady is the better storyline? And he just said, hey, Brady is the better storyline. I, I think there's a definitive answer to that question, and I'm going to do it in the podcast channel. The show is brought to you in part by the Evan Holstrom Racing Team. Evan Holstrom, an 18-year-old out of Northfield, Vermont, part of the Pro All-Star Series, races with the super late models in the Pro All-Star Series. He's worked over at Thunder Road. He's raced at Thunder Road before, and tomorrow is WDEV night at Thunder Road. Evan Holstrom is the youngest participant ever in the Vermont Milk Bowl, so uh, certainly a name that you're going to want to follow. If you follow local racing and Here's somebody who wants to hang out with us at Thunder Road tomorrow. Know the name Evan Holstrom on that Pro All-Star Series side of things on the Super Late Model. So very, very cool. And EvanHolstromRacing.com and on social media, you can follow him and his team. Are the Red Sox about to make a huge move at the trade deadline? Ownership is apparently pushing for it. Is it likely? That's next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball game two of the doubleheader with the Blue Jays comes up in about seven minutes. Sox and Jays from Fenway Park. Tanner Houck on the mound for Boston. We'll give you the full lineups here momentarily. But again, I advise you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. We will have more of a conversation there beyond just this 40-minute show. Uh, we'll have that available for you here, uh, you know, after we tape it. So a little while from now. Um, interesting stuff that's just coming out here. Red Sox ownership is reportedly pushing the Sox to acquire Max Scherzer. So I don't. So it looks like John Henry and company is pushing High and Bloom to make a move for Scherzer. This really surprises me because I thought that ownership was going to allow High and Bloom to do his job, and evidently ownership in here is meddling. But their owners, they're allowed to meddle. But I'm surprised to hear that they are so quickly after giving High and Bloom, you know, apparently carte blanche to kind of rebuild this thing in the way that he see want in the way that he sees fit. Evidently, ownership is feeling mounting pressure to make a move. The A's today added Starling Marte. The Rays have added Nelson Cruz. So the teams around the Red Sox, the Astros, have added multiple pieces to their bullpen. So ownership sees the teams around the Sox making moves and is is evidently nudging the Red Sox to make moves too. But I don't believe that adding Max Scherzer is necessarily a prudent move for the Red Sox. I mean, of course, if it's the right price, you would have to to do it, right? Like, I'm not that dumb. But if you're going to add Max Scherzer, it's got to be at the right price. But I don't think that the right price exists for the Boston Red Sox. It feels to me like acquiring Max Scherzer would be an irresponsible thing. The teams that are reportedly the most interested in Scherzer are the Padres, the Giants, and the Dodgers. The Padres now have the sixth best 
prospect system in baseball. The Giants, 11th. The Dodgers, 14th. The Red Sox, 24th. That was beginning of the year rankings. Red Sox, 24th. So all three of those teams have a massive leg up on the Red Sox with their prospect capital. So if you were going to beat them, I mean, how much more do you have to overpay to pass them? How much do you have to compensate? If the Dodgers give up their 10th prospect for Scherzer, what is that to you? Your fourth? Is that what we want to do here? Because I don't think that that's what the Red Sox and High and Bloom wants to do. The Red Sox, I've said this before, this is why building up the farm system is so important because the Red Sox don't have the horses to compete in a race with a lot of teams when it comes to acquiring star players. They've been behind the eight ball for years. The moment they traded away Moncada and Kopech, the system was bare. They don't have the resources to go out and make that kind of move right now. So I think that Hyam Bloom is going to make moves. He's just not going to make that move. He might make three useful smaller moves rather than one big irresponsible move. I was listening last night to a podcast, Jerry Depoto. He's the general manager of the Seattle Mariners. Yes, I'm a Mariners fan. He does a podcast once a month or so, and he's really transparent. Here is what he said. His team is in a very different spot than the Red Sox. They're about to be six games over 500 and two out of the wild card. They're not a division leader. They're not a World Series threat. So it's a different situation. But what he said about the trade deadline for his team holds true to the Red Sox. You know, we've done so much good for the long term for the Mariners that we don't want to forsake it for a short-term sprint. That is how executives feel. Okay, That is how executives feel. They work so hard to build up a system and to give their organizations depth and options. They generally don't want to rip it apart, especially for a guy like Scherzer, who's an aging rental player. Look, and, and the Dodgers, the Padres, the Giants, they've built up that system to where it's not a total rip-up of the whole system. The Red Sox would be. That's not what Haim Bloom wants to do. The A's today gave up Jesus Lazardo, former Vermont Lake Monster, one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. They traded him for rental player Starling Marte. They were universally panned for that move. Marte's a very good player. He's in his low 30s, 32, I believe. He might help the A's, but he's not coming back next year. And Luzardo may go on to be an excellent pitcher. That's a very steep price to pay, and they were universally crushed for it. I don't think that that's something that Hyam Bloom is really in the business of doing. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. How Jerry Depoto, what Jerry Depoto just said, that's how general managers think. That's how they feel. We go to all this work to build it up. We don't want to tear it all down right away. Red Sox baseball coming up about uh, 75 seconds from now. Lineup time from Fenway Park. Game two. The Blue Jays are 50 and 47. The Red Sox are 62 and 40 after their game one loss. Tanner Houck's on the mound for Boston, 0 and 2 with a 2-5-0. Stephen Matz is 8 and 5 with a 4-3-4 for Toronto. George Springer leads off in center for the Jays. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is the DH. Marcus Semyon's at second. Bo Bichette at short. Teoscar Hernandez in left. Lourdes Goriel Jr. at first. Randall Grichuk's in right. Santiago Espinal's at third. And Reese McGuire is the catcher. For the Sox, Kike Hernandez is at second. Rafael Devers is at third. Xander Bogarts is back. He's at short. J.D. Martinez, the DH. Hunter Renfro's in right. Alex Verdugo in left. Kevin Ploiecki does the catching. He bats seventh. Bobby Dahlbeck's at first. And Jaron Duran back in the lineup, now hitting ninth, but struggling at just 148. That's it for us. Find the full show podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search for The Brady Farkas Show. We are closing in on 250,000 downloads of our show and could not be more appreciative. Sox Baseball is next. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby and online always at sticksandstuff.com. And welcome back in here to the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and WDEV Radio. 
Com. So uh, thanks to Freddie Coleman for joining us in the live version. And you can always check out that interview right here on the podcast channel. But we continue on right now. Something I asked Freddie about and something that I heard yesterday that I want to expand upon here. Lewis Riddick, ESPN NFL insider, and he's certainly one of the best NFL insiders that there is. And he's a former player. He says that when the Patriots host the Buccaneers in week for the NFL season, he wants to see Mac Jones be the quarterback for the Pats. Listen to Lewis Riddick. For me, it's just a matter of time. It's a matter of time before they put him in there. I'd like to see it even before they play Tampa Bay. I think that'd be a huge story for the rookie to be starting in that game. See, I completely disagree with that take, and Freddie didn't really want that. He said the story is Tom Brady. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is for New England. I think that it does matter, at least to me as a fan. The NFL is an entertainment business. Cam Newton puts on a show. Simply put. we I can say, oh, it's better for the Patriots' long-term development if Mac Jones is in here, or it's better for this season. I'm not even looking at it from that angle right now. As an NFL fan, I want a show put on, and Cam Newton puts on a show. You know that Tom Brady is going to put on a show. He's going to talk a little bit. He's going to bark. He's going to irritate you with his smile. He's going to carry himself in a certain way. Tom Brady will play to the moment. Leading up to the moment, he's not going to give anything. He's not going to say anything controversial. He's not going to say anything wrong. But in the moment, when game time comes, Tom Brady is going to play up to the moment. And if he's going to play to the moment, I want somebody on my side who is able to stand up to him in that moment, and that is Cam Newton. He has beaten Tom Brady before. He has beaten Tom Brady in Foxborough before. Cam Newton will understand the importance of the night. He'll understand the importance of the week. He'll play to the crowd also, I'm sure. And I think he has a chance to give the Pats a better chance to win in that moment. Mac Jones is obviously a good player. He's obviously the more long-term answer at quarterback, for the Patriots. And I think he has a chance to be a pretty good quarterback, even if not spectacular. But in that game, in his first games as a starter, I really think Mac Jones is going to be so focused on just being himself, taking care of himself, getting all his ducks in a row. He's not going to be entertaining. And as a fan who wants entertainment value from sports, and as a Patriots fan who wants to see the Pats win and also wants to see Tom Brady humbled, I think Cam Newton is the guy that has a chance to do that. Cam Newton will not be afraid of the moment. Cam Newton may lose his job at some point this year. Cam Newton may not make every throw look pretty. But in that moment, week four, Patriots, Bucks, Sunday night football in Foxborough, Cam Newton will not be afraid. Cam Newton will be jacked up. He will be excited. And he will be able to go toe-to-toe from a showmanship perspective with Cam Newton, or with Tom Brady, rather. And I do think that Cam Newton will play up this year. Yes, I think he'll be better. I think his teammates will be better. But I do believe that having fans will make a difference for Cam Newton. Last year, playing without fans, that's hard for emotional players. And Cam Newton is an emotional player. If guys are getting on him, I think he'll rally. And he'll use it as motivation. If guys are behind him, I know he'll rally and use it as motivation. If Cam Newton gets 50,000 fans cheering for him that night, he's going to be able to take all that energy, all that aggression, all that excitement, and bottle it up and turn it into something that can be pretty memorable for the Patriots. I don't know if they're going to win that game. In fact, obviously, I would sit here and say that no. I don't think they're going to win that game. But Cam Newton, I think, will play to the level of the crowd and give them a chance to win that game. And I think he will absolutely play up to the moment. And I don't want Tom Brady to come in and overwhelm everything. I don't want him to beat the rookie 49 to 10. I don't want him to overwhelm the crowd, you know, with or overwhelm the moment with just it being about Tom. Cam Newton has a chance to stick up to Tom Brady in that regard and be a showman on equal footing. He's done it before. I think he can do it again. So I'd absolutely want Cam Newton starting in that game and not Mac Jones 
as Louis Riddick says. It's the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we do this every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I don't I don't like the signing. <laughs> I'm not happy about the signing. Okay. I think about 99.5 of New England is upset with this news today. They really said that? Having him back in the dugout obviously makes me want to beat them more. We don't like those guys. They don't like us. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. A lot of talk this week about the Texans quarterback situation and what's going on with Deshaun Watson. Well, Watson is at Texans training camp. He's not doing a whole lot. He wants to be traded still. He still wants no part of the Texans, and we still don't know what's up with Deshaun Watson's legal situation ultimately. So teams are pretty hesitant right now to trade for Deshaun Watson because they don't know what the resolution legally will be. Well, Mike Reese of ESPN says the Patriots checked in on Deshaun Watson months ago. In general... The Patriots were exploring all options at quarterback because at that time they hadn't drafted Mac Jones 15th overall out of Alabama. Once they did that, the picture obviously changed. So Patriots are always going to do their due diligence on every player, really at every position, but especially at quarterback, given the importance of that position. So what Mike Reese is telling you is that prior to the draft, the Patriots checked in on Deshaun Watson's availability. And I really hate to hear this. Deshaun Watson was accused of sexual assault, sexual misconduct, mistreatment of women. The first allegations came out in March. We learned even more in April. By the time the draft hit at the end of April, there was a lot known about the situation facing Deshaun Watson. And therefore, to me, as a result of all that knowledge between the first allegations in March And the draft, the Patriots should have been out entirely of the Deshaun Watson marketplace. It feels very dirty to me. The Patriots look like they were trying to maybe buy low on Deshaun Watson given his pending legal issues. I am not interested in that. I want to win. And it may sound cliche and you may think that I'm holier than thou and you may snicker about it. I want to win, but I do want to win the right way. And I do not want to place winning above all else, okay? There's a difference between a guy who gets into a bar fight and a guy who sexually assaults women. I can understand some transgressions being allowed by guys on my roster. This is not one of them. I do not want to win this way or with guys that have these issues around them. If Deshaun Watson was found innocent and the whole thing was made up, that would be a different story. But with these allegations out there, and with more than 20 of them out there, it's not something that I wanted to even dip my toe in the water on, and evidently the Patriots did that. And the fact that they were looking to buy low and maybe use this legal situation to their advantage to, quote, get a deal on Deshaun Watson... That feels incredibly dirty to me. You know, the Patriots have won before. They have won a lot. This isn't some also-ran franchise that has to make a deal with the devil in order to win. You know, and, and frankly, if I was a Browns fan, if I was a Lions fan, if I was a Cardinals fan, these other teams that haven't won in forever or have never won— I also still wouldn't want to acquire Deshaun Watson. But sometimes when you're that desperate, people will make a deal with the devil. And maybe it goes over better for some of those fan bases. But in New England, for me, the Patriots didn't even need to even explore this. They have won before. They were never that desperate or that starving for a title that they needed to go down this dirty road with a player who has so much nastiness right now surrounding him. The Pats should be able to win without doing this. Look, they did this, but but I, I shouldn't be surprised. The Patriots brought in Michael Floyd for a playoff run. Michael Floyd found a sleep in his car, DUI in Arizona, high-level DUI, cut by the Cardinals, Signed by the Patriots for the playoffs. Antonio Brown. You know, a guy, not a whole lot of good around him. Also, mistreatment of women 
accusations. Patriots signed him. The Patriots have done this. And for as much as I love the organization, and as much as in a lot of ways I think they stand for what's right, they have shown me over and over again that they will place winning above all else. And that is not something that I am a fan or that I, as a fan, am interested in. I want to win. But I want to win with the Matthew Slaters, with the Devin McCordys, with the uh, James Whites. I want to win with those kind of players. High character, high integrity. I'm not interested in in cutting deals or in um, you know trying to score a deal on the cheap because the guy's got some pending. Le- I don't look at pending legal issues as an opportunity, and evidently the Patriots did. You know, I remember one of the first days that I was on the air and radio. That you know, when I was actually you know getting a chance to do a long-term show, it was a three-hour-long show back in Albany, and it was the day the Yankees traded for Araldis Chapman from the Reds, and the Yankees did this, and I ra- I gave this exact same speech, you know, five years ago or six years ago. The Yankees acquired Araldis Chapman, and he had a pending domestic violence suspension looming. He was going to get suspended, but we didn't know how long. And it came out that if Araldis Chapman was suspended for 30 games, or 30 days rather, just 30 days, it would push back his major league service time, and the Yankees would get a year more of team control. So the Reds had to trade one of their best players. As a result of his pending legal issues, he became a de- you know a depreciating asset. So the Yankees got him on the cheap prospect-wise and then benefited from it all because Chapman was suspended those at least 30 days and the Yankees got him for from you know May 1st through the rest of that season plus another full season. The Yankees took that those legal issues, that looming suspension They took it as an opportunity for value, and it felt dirty to me. And the Yankees, another team, had won so much, and by that point they had won more recently in 2009, they shouldn't have been that desperate to make a deal with the devil, and they were. And the Patriots checking in on Deshaun Watson feels like the exact same thing with me. Now, they didn't pull the trigger, they didn't make the deal, but they were still looking for that opportunity, and that really really bothers me. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Uh, one last thought on Patriots training camp today. When the picture came out and the videos came out of Cam Newton walking onto the practice field, jogging onto the practice field in Foxborough, he was wearing a mask. And I don't know anything about it. And as I tape this, I have not seen a reason for that. And I don't I have at least yet not seen Cam Newton ask the question of if he's vaccinated. But I know that Cam Newton obviously last year had COVID and you know missed a game, that game against Kansas City. I've been pretty steadfast both in my life and on this show about not wanting to know if players are vaccinated, not needing to know. Okay, And I haven't talked a whole lot about the vaccine because it's been so controversial and it, you know, I've stayed out of it in part because it just doesn't feel like my business to investigate other people's personal choices. All I've really cared about is, is the team at 85% because when the team hits 85%, different things happen. That's all I've really been caring about or been caring about. I'll say this today though. I hope that Cam Newton is vaccinated. I hope that he's wearing a mask solely to protect himself or others further and not because he may have to because he's subject to different league protocol as an unvaccinated player. I hope Cam Newton is vaccinated for this reason. I want Cam Newton to remain the quarterback of the Patriots. I want Cam Newton to have a place in this league still. Cam Newton is fighting for his Patriots life and he's fighting for his NFL life. And I don't want anything non-football to get in the way or end his career. Because if Cam Newton is vaccinated 
and tests positive for COVID, he can come back a whole lot quicker. If Cam Newton is unvaccinated and tests positive for COVID again, he's away from the team for a much longer period of time. And if Cam Newton steps away for that 10 days or longer period, if he's actually sick and symptomatic, he may never get that job back. I only want Cam Newton to lose this job because of football. I don't want it to be because of any other reason. Because if he loses this job, he may lose his entire career. If Cam Newton tested positive for COVID and then three days later could produce you know, two negative tests, he'd be back and he'd have a chance to retain his job and keep his career going. We saw last year what being away from the team and being away from the facility, what it did to Cam. And yes, he's in a better position this year with the offense and stuff that it may not snowball on him like it did a year ago. But if Cam Newton has to leave the facility and you know put down the playbook and not be able to work with his teammates and gain chemistry with his receivers and talk to Josh McDaniels and Mac Jones gets all that stuff, Cam Newton may not get a chance to keep his career going. And I would hate for this to be the reason that he lost his career or that his Patriots tenure at least ended. Truly, I do believe that vaccination is a personal choice. I generally am fine if Cam Newton doesn't want to get vaccinated, but I hope that he is because I don't want anything else to get get in the way of his Patriots career or his NFL career. And if he has to miss time because of another positive COVID test, he's going to set himself back this time to a point that he may never get the job back. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. A couple of quick notes on the Red Sox. We are getting ready for game two of the Sox doubleheader against the Blue Jays. Haim Bloom said yesterday that Chris Sale is likely to make two more rehab starts. So uh, the team certainly slow playing Sale back to the majors. But overall, I think this is smart. They'll have him build up as a starter. They're looking out for him. They're helping the team. Um, I think Sale is going to play a big role in this organization here down the stretch. I think he'll absolutely help as a starter. If they did move him to the bullpen or at any point in the playoffs, I think he can help there too. But regardless, he's going to be an impact arm, and he's going to be stretched out in a way that I wasn't thinking he was going to be stretched out when we started talking about Sale's return. So um, I'm excited to see Sale back, but I also appreciate that they are being smart and careful in how they handle him. Ryan Brazier is also on the mend too, the reliever who we've kind of forgotten about because he hasn't been around all year. He's coming back. Remember, he got hit in the head by a line drive during a rehab appearance from another injury. 104 miles an hour and hit him in the head. It's it, As a pitcher, that is so scary and such a tough position to be in. I, my heart goes out to Brazier. I'm glad that he is better. I'm glad that he's back on the mound. And I'm glad that he's going to be on his way to being a reinforcement for this team also because getting him back is a big deal. The Sox are getting those reinforcements. Sale, Brazier, they got some other guys on the mend here. They still need to make moves at the deadline. I still think a reliever, first base, a starter, they would all be things that I would like. But to see Brazier back, Sale back, these things that are getting closer to happening can only be good things. All right, that'll do it for us here on the expanded version of the show. Look forward to being back again tomorrow live. We'll be back at it from 5.30 until 6.10 on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and streaming at WDEVradio.com.